What is up, Fly Cool Shit listeners? Happy Friday. Another Friday in the books, guys. Another week down. How's everybody doing out there? Hanging in there? I'm hanging in there. Doing okay. Not doing as much flying as I want to do. That's for sure, but um, things are going okay around here. You know, status quo. Riding my bike. Getting to talk to cool people about flying. You know, drinking drinking the occasional glass of wine here and there. Life is life is pretty good, all things considered. Super excited about today's episode. Can't tell you how excited I am about today's episode. I got to talk to one of my idols, somebody I look up to very, very much, somebody I've admired um, just about my entire aerobatic flying career. And I say career, I'm not a professional aerobatic pilot by any stretch of the imagination, but um, ever since I've been into aerobatics, he's been somebody that's been on my radar. And, and obviously, now looking at it, he's, uh, if you can't call him, Overall, the best aerobatic air pla- uh, best aerobatic pilot on the planet. He's really, really close. I personally think overall uh, stacking competition, you know, arresty freestyle, air show, um, flying doesn't get better than this guy. I'm sure most of you already know who I'm talking about. Five-time world freestyle champion, nine-time national aerobatic champion, ten-time national freestyle champion. 2019 Eric Mueller Trophy recipient, 2019 Honorary Blue Angel. The list goes on and on and on. He's the team captain of the U.S. Unlimited team. I'm sure he will be for 2021, or sorry, 2022. No, I think they select next year, 2021. Uh, when they select, I'm sure he'll be the team captain again. Um, the insanely talented Rob Holland, ladies and gentlemen. Rob, thanks for joining the uh, the podcast. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Well, so first of all, I want to get it out of the way. I'm a huge fan. Super excited to talk to you today. And I want to get um, a little bit of your story. And I have some questions here. Um, so I want to start off. I don't want to ask you how you got into flying because that's that's kind of a basic question. But um, what what was the path that kind of turned you on to aerobatics early on in your, in your flying career? Oh, um... Well, I mean, I've always been interested in flying from as long back as I can remember. I blame it on Star Wars. I'm old enough to have seen the first one in the theater when I was three. Um, <laughs> cool. But th- later on in life, um, kind of the same old story. I went to an air show and I saw airplanes flying upside down. And kind of from that point on, all the models I had were hanging upside down from the ceiling. And I was just infatuated. So, Do you remember who you saw flying aerobatics then? The very first thing I ever saw at an air show uh, when I was walking into the gate, it was uh, Dale Snodgrass flying an F-14, Jim Parker huh. flying a Pitts, and they were doing a canopy-to-canopy canopy pass. Oh, my gosh. I took a picture of it, and I still have that picture on my desk, my desk to this day. And what's really cool is, like, all these years later, is they're, they're both pretty good friends of mine. So it's That's awesome. Cool how it's kind of come full circle. That is so cool. Um, would you say that um – so I want to talk about maybe some of your, your flying mentors uh, as you were you know progressing through uh, learning aerobatics and then obviously becoming the world champion that you are. Um, Snort and, and, and others of the like. Did you have any other, like as you were coming up, um, aerobatic-specific um, pilots that you were kind of looking up to, to kind of, that you wanted to emulate or at least wanted to be like that you had in your head? Um, a lot, really, and all for different reasons. I mean, from early on, I kind of 
I mean, I kind of wanted to do my own thing and, and be my my own pile and my own style, which hopefully I've kind of grown into a little bit. Uh, I'd but say I you have. Had, had people I've admired. I mean, Mike Gullian's a huge inspiration. Tucker's an mm-hmm. inspiration. Um, you know, Bob Hoover and Leo Loudenslager. Um, Bobby Yunkin. I mean, all all the greats, really. I mean, I was I've just sure. been a fan of air shows and a fan of flying and a fan of some of the greats. Did you? Um, was your goal always to be an air show pilot? Obviously, being a world champion um, was that. Was that did that the competitive side? I mean, your your air shows are very, um, you know, it's a high energy, um, precision routine. So it's the, it obviously has its roots in competition, and your roots are in competition. But um, did you kind of envision just being an air show pilot, or did you really see the competition side and want to do that as well? No, the air show stuff came first. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, so I went to that first air show I told you about, but before that, I was home from school one day watching MTV and Van Halen dreams came on and I saw the a fours from the blue angels doing their thing. And I thought that was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I remember watching that clip on YouTube over and over and over again. Yeah. That kind of really sparked it. Um, so it was really, I just wanted to be an an air show pilot and I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what road to take or how to get there. Um, I kind of fell into competition later. Um, to kind of cut a long story short, I was working at Mike Goulian's aerobatic school, kind of running his aerobatic program. Okay. And they would take students and go to competitions. So that was my first taste in the competition aerobatics, and I really enjoyed it. And so both my competition and my air show path kind of started at the same time. Interesting. Okay. Would you feel like one has shaped the other? I mean, obviously, uh, from a you know a root standpoint, competition aerobatics you know, would would – I think you would agree or uh, tell me if I'm wrong, would make a better air show pilot um, just having those roots in competition aerobatics and those fundamentals. Um, but did, did you find it harder to do both at once? Yeah. I mean, it's really two different disciplines. Um, I think they help each other quite a bit. I think competition brings a certain level of discipline, um, precision, um, the willingness to be critiqued and like have people tell you what you're not doing right as opposed to what you are doing right to air show flying is valuable. I mean, it's, I can't say enough about that. And air show flying, you got to be careful. It can make you a little bit sloppy for competition, but what it does bring is a lot of situational awareness, where you are in the box, where you're putting the figures, where the judges are, you know, so you can present everything as, because I mean, you're really performing for the judges. So how do you make the best, most presentable performance? So air show flying does help competition to a point, Competition flying does help air show flying and discipline and precision and, you know, basically staying alive. Sure, sure. Well, it seems like now, like, I would say freestyle is probably what you would enjoy the most. Would that be a fair statement to say? You know, everyone assumes that. I like them both equally, really. I love the okay. kind of regular arresty flying and just trying to be as perfect as I can be. Sure. Well, it's, it certainly shows in your air show routine. And I feel like, you know, uh, looking back, Goulian's a great example. He was someone early on where I was like, his air show routine is very much rooted in, in just arresty flying. I mean, it's extremely precise. And you can tell, I mean, not that it's one's right or wrong, but there's obviously performers that aren't, uh, that don't fly routines like that. And that's fine. But he was one of those early on that I noticed that just as just somebody, you know, grabbing the fence and, watching air shows that 
I noticed a difference in his flying and then come to find out later, obviously he's, you know, he flies the way he does because of who he is and, and what he's achieved. Um, but it's interesting okay. to see, you know, uh, performers now. Do you, do you see a different? I was actually talking with uh, Jeff Petroselli about this and, and kind of a divergence from uh, competition roots in air show flying. Do you see that as well? Um, Just as far as the performers that are performing now, maybe there's, uh, uh, you know, uh, it seemed like everybody, all, all the, the big names are, are – have a competition pedigree of some either, you know, national champions, world champions, aerobatic champions, or high placing um, competitors, where it seems like that's kind of fallen off a little bit. No. Um, well, I'll tell you one thing, all the air show pilots that were like national champions and on aerobatic teams and stuff like that, generally speaking, they're all still alive and they're still out there doing it. Yeah. So right. Said for that. Um, right. Oh, absolutely. But there's still a mix. I mean, you got um, Sean, Michael, and Kirby, and uh, Chaman, who just retired, Patty. You know, all those mm -hmm. guys are still flying air shows, and they're fantastic. But you still got the Kyle Franklins and the Matt Youngkins and the Bob Carltons and all those guys out there, too. So I think there's still a pretty good mix. Pretty good mix. Yeah. Yeah, and the legends are also alive. There's definitely something to be said for that. And yeah. still doing it to a, a high level, which is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, on the air show note, obviously the 2020 season has been decimated. Um, have you performed an air show this year? No, what a crazy year I have. I had 24 air shows scheduled and 23 of them have canceled. So right now I'm still scheduled to, uh, Stewart, oh my gosh. Florida in, uh, beginning November and supposedly it's going on. We'll see what happens. Okay. I'll cross my fingers that uh, what an insane um, I mean, obviously on so many levels uh, been just completely insane with all this um, on that note. Are you, is there a, um, a silver lining of, of, of a break for you? Cause obviously you're a full-time competition pilot. You're the team captain of the unlimited team. You practice, you know, always practicing for worlds, doing air shows, coaching. Um, I mean, do you ever have a day off? <laughs> Um, well, I had quite a few days off of this pandemic hit for a few months. Yeah. Um, it's tough. It's crazy. I mean, so realistically speaking, you know, I get, I do 24 shows a year ish, which means I get 24 paychecks a year. So when 23 of those goes away, you, it's kind of tough and you got to find some other things to do. That's where I've been getting into a lot of coaching. I enjoy coaching aerobatics. I enjoy it a lot. Obviously I'd rather be flying. Um, it's not quite the same income wise, but that's what I've been doing a lot of just to kind of supplement myself and survive till the next season when hopefully air shows pick up again. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I was going to, I want to touch on, on kind of both of those aspects. One, I, w I did want to ask you, um, what you, you know, enjoy the most. Uh, it sounds like you enjoy coaching a lot. Is that something that you'd want to see? I mean, can you make it a full time, um, or at least, um, can you make it lucrative enough? I'm sure you could, uh, being the name, uh, yeah, but is that something you'd I, want to do more I, of? I could, and I have kept myself quite busy doing coaching and I, in the future, I'd like to do a lot more of it. Um, but I'm talking years down the line when hopefully I'm kind of weaning back at the air shows a little bit, but right now, um, the air show flying and the competition flying is still my first love. I'd much rather be in the cockpit looking down and on the ground looking up. Sure. Sure. And then, uh, with regard to air shows, any talk, um, I mean, has ICAS already canceled for, gosh, what is, I mean, it's going to be coming up again, uh, or supposedly coming up again, right? 
Yeah, the, um, the physical convention is canceled. They're going to have a virtual convention, which I haven't really looked into much yet, so I can't speak a lot of it. But okay. knowing them, they'll make it something cool. So, is there yeah. an, any any rumblings on? Um, uh, obviously, you know we can't can't predict the future, and and air shows can book and then cancel. But um, it, is twenty twenty one at least? Um, are there are there prospects of it looking up? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to look in the future and see where this virus is going to go and what politics are going to do and everything else. Sure. But, I mean, the, the shows are booking. I have most of my shows booked for 2021. Whether they cancel or not, that's to be seen. But as of right now, it looks like a pretty good season. Okay. When you when you book these shows, I mean, uh, do you typically book um, more than a year out at ICAST? Like, would you book that same show two years in a row or more? Typically, I don't book anything at ICAST. I book all my shows ahead of ICAST. Um, okay. Yeah, I just throughout the year I'm just booking and getting them done, and they're calling me or I'm calling them. I yeah, I, I don't want the headache of trying to make it all work in you know a four day period at ICAST, so I get it done ahead of time. No, that's smart. That's, that seems to be that's that's a smart way to do it. And then you get to just get to go to ICAST and kind of party and hang out, have fun. Yeah, I mean you end up booking a couple shows there usually for the the following year, which is kind of nice because you pad that a little bit. Sure. It's nice to support the industry and be there and have a presence. Sure. Sure. Um, Oh, let's see here. So, uh, so WAC 2021, uh, I would imagine the team's preparing for that pretty hardcore. Um, Have you guys been able to, Oh, how do I want to word this question? Has the folk, has the focus changed at all with coronavirus as far as being able to train more or train differently obviously you don't have the 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 shows that or the competition season has been decimated as well so getting that that level of practice in is kind of out um or at least greatly reduced but has there been anything that the teams have been doing uh differently this year trying to take advantage of more flying or time off or anything well i mean so on the unlimited level technically there isn't an unlimited team right now because this was going to be a team selection year, and then next That's year right. the WAC, and everything got pushed back a year. Now, the advanced team was supposed to have their competition this year. This but year. But it got pushed to next year. So as far as the advanced team goes, um, it's still the same team. Um, they're practicing hard. We've had a couple of camps. I'm coaching them. And I think, you know, it, it kind of sucks to have the, the year off, but it does give us a few more camps and let them work some things out. So I think we're going to have a pretty strong team for them going to the, uh, the advanced world aerobatic championships. And then next September at the nationals, we'll select an unlimited team and our next championship won't be till 2022. Okay. So everything just got shifted a year essentially. Yes. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that answers that question. I was actually curious about that. Okay. Um, was your so your first uh, air show uh, airplane was the S two C right? That's correct. Yep. And then you went to yeah, I think you went to the uh, Ultimate Twenty. Is that Ultimate right? Ultimate Twenty three hundred. Yep. Okay. Um, cool did you? What's that? It was a cool airplane. I enjoyed flying it. Yeah, I, I want. So I want to. Um, I, I kind of want to pick your brain on the on the uh, the technicalities of these uh, airplanes because you're. I would imagine you're, uh, for lack of a better phrase, aerobatic IQ is in terms of aircraft handling um, is obviously extremely high and, and, and higher than the average aerobatic pilot in terms of what you've flown and what, what an airplane can and can't do. Um, obviously you saw limitations with 
the S2C and then moved on to the Ultimate. And then from there, uh, you didn't compete uh, or you didn't um, do air shows in anything in between the Ultimate and the MXS, right? Uh, I did. So, well, so yeah, I started off in the S2. Well, let's go back further. When I first started flying aerobatics, it was basically anything I could get my hands on back in the day. So, okay. bolts and Cetabrias and Decathlons and Glass Airs and anything that would go upside down. And then when I started teaching at Michael's school, I was flying a Decathlon in a Pitts. After a year there, that's when I kind of realized you can fly aerobatics and have other people pay for it. <laughs> you know, by <bites> <laughs> So with his blessing, I ended up leaving and started my own aerobatic flight school, and we leased a decathlon and a um, an S2C. And I worked a deal with a gentleman that owned that S2C to use it for competition and for to get into air shows. So that was kind of finally my my in. I had an airplane to use to get into air shows. I did that for a few years, and then um, my business partner in the flight school ended up buying that Ultimate. So I leased that from him and did air shows in that. It was a great airplane. Did that for. Two, two and a half years, I think. Okay. And then um, it's a bit of a story. I'm happy to tell it to you if you want. I would love it, yeah. Basically, got into the uh, MX-2, the two-seater. And I was in between the Ultimate and the two-seater for a short period of time. I had to film some air shows. So I had a buddy with a Pitts Model 12. I did three air shows in that. Oh, cool. Then I got the MX-2 and then transitioned to the MXS. Okay. Yeah. And you, um, so you're on your second MXS, the MXS-RH, right? Um, can you, as much as you can, uh, obviously uh, secrets notwithstanding here, um, can you speak to the differences between your specific airplane and, a, you know, like an off-the-shelf MXS, so to speak? Yeah. There is any? No, there's, there's no secrets. It's um, the bulk of the airplanes are stock MXS. I mean, the MXS stock alone is just an incredible airplane. But what happened was, you know, I was flying the MX2, um, and you just learn what you like about an airplane or what could be a little bit more or what could be a little bit less or whatever. So when we decided to build the first MXS, um, I went to the factory at the time and was like, hey, you know, I have some ideas for the, you know, the rudder and the elevator and a few other things, and luckily they worked with me. So the big changes is on the rudder, everyone thinks it's a bigger rudder, but it's not actually bigger. It's just the area on it's redistributed. So okay. we took about four inches of cord off the top and added it to the bottom because that's the area that actually works, uh, which gives it kind of a more of a swept back look. And then it had concave yeah. skins on it, kind of like on an extra, which gives you some stability. And I didn't want stability, so we put flat skins on it, which makes it more effective. And then because it had okay. a longer cord in the bottom, it was going to be heavier. So we chopped off a few inches of the um, vertical stab and added it to the horn on top of the rudder um, just to kind of lighten it up a little so an aerodynamic balance. So that's what we did to the rudder. For the elevator, we just added four inches of cord at the root and kept it the same at the tip. So it just had a, um, you know, kind of a sweep to it, which added a little bit of area. And then they had been experimenting a lot with all the Red Bull planes at the time and came up with all these different kinds of wingtips. And the first generation of wingtips were actually pretty small. And it didn't do great for Red Bull type stuff, but what it did do is made the plane roll faster. Um, okay. took all the disrupted air at the wingtips of like the sawed off tips and 
Mm-hmm. All that spiraling air is going over the outboard parts of the ailerons and making it very ineffective. The little tips moves that out so you got more effective aileron. Okay. So we put those tips on it, and then we took the Red Bull race canopy and just added more glass to it because I like the shape of it. Um, and then we put the racing cowling on it, and that that's pretty much it. So it's a stock MXS with a different elevator, different rudder, a different canopy, wing tips, and you know, a racing cowling. We just put bigger air intakes on it for, for better cooling. Gotcha, gotcha. And then, that's um, awesome. When that plane went away, when I had that off-field landing, um, with the new factory, we built a new one. It's pretty much the same airplane. Um, we got a little more deflection out of the elevator and the rudder. Um, there's a lot of nicety things on it, like some things are just easier to get to to work on. But for the most part, okay. it's the same airplane. It's it's very very similar, and it carries a lot more gas for cross country. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Does that? Um, I mean, wing tanks for fairing and, and a typical header tank setup. Yeah. So my new plane. Well, all the MXs have seventeen gallons in the header. Um, okay. They all pretty much have twenty gallons in, in each wing. I have forty gallons in each wing, so I got ninety-seven gallons total. Oh wow, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, that'll get you. That'll get you almost. Almost anywhere you need to be in a, in a stop or two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, most of my life on air show season is cross-country show to show. Yeah. And when you leave an air show, they top you off. So, you know, might as well put yeah. as much as you can and get as far Hell as yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you typically ferry to your own shows or do you have somebody ferry the plane for you? No, I ferry it. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Speaking of Red Bull, I've always wanted to ask you this. Um, did you ever thought, uh, ever think about making a move? Uh, to, to do the Red Bull Air Races as well? I did. Um, when they came back in, what was it, 2013? They, t- they took a hiatus. Whatever the Sounds year about right, they, after, they, a little, they, after a little safety stand down? Yeah, yeah they, um, they contacted me and asked me if I wanted to go to the qualifications. I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, and they, were, they were like really secretive about it. It was kind of weird. But they shipped me over to Slovenia, and I did their camp, and I did all the qualifications. I got qualified. And at the time, it's when they first started coming out the the Challenger series. Uh-huh. So they, there were five of us there that were new guys. They sat us all in a room and told us about the Challenger series and then told us that they wanted us to volunteer. They'd pay our expenses, but they, we weren't going to get paid. And all of us were kind of like, well, it's hard to make a living that way. I'd have to give up so many air shows to do it that I'd be losing a ton of money. So oh, yeah. all five of us turned them down. And um, gotcha. they, ended up, they ended up having another camp and offered those people some money and some of them went into it and then they built it up from there. But yeah, the first batch of us, we, we all turned them down. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That'd be hard to kind of, um, turn down a bunch of air shows and a bunch of revenue paying, uh, streams to, uh, to go do that as much as it looks very fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, I mean, could be told, like I, the little bit I did going through the pylons and stuff, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it, but I just, I like the air show flying so much better. I like the creativity and working for myself and the freedom of it. And is to me, it's a more interesting kind of flying. So are you pretty much a one man show in terms of, uh, I mean, you're obviously your own manager. Uh, you obviously create your routine. Um, you book your air shows, you fare your airplane. Is there anybody else that helps out as far as your, as Rob Holland air shows enterprise, um, that, uh, that helps, um, coordinate any of the, uh, the efforts that you do throughout the year? It depends upon the year. I have, um, uh, a friend of mine, Lauren, she's helped me out with my bookkeeping for a long, long time. She's been priceless. Um, 
But for the most part, it's just me. If it's a year that I'm, um, say I have a sponsor that year, I'll, I'll typically have somebody else on the road with me and I've had some other people work for me in the past. But for the most part, I'm a one-man show. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, going back to the uh, the MXS, um, is there anything uh, – do you do you still fly the airplane and kind of find things that you want to tweak? Are you are you, are you you an incessant tweaker? I am. <laughs> as, as bad as that phrase sounds, um, but always kind of finding things that, to, to tune and, and, and change. Or are you really, really happy with the setup? Obviously, you've made a lot of changes and made the airplane the way you want it. But uh, are you still kind of finding things that you want to fine-tune? Always. I mean, you know – you tune in, you get to the point where you're like, okay, this is the best that I can make it. And then you fly it for a while and you start thinking about it and then there's things you want to change, whether it's like how the ailerons feel or whatever it might be. So yeah, there's always things to tinker with. Do you go as far as uh, like, have you put uh, different airfoil shapes on any of the control surfaces? Or I mean, obviously you talked about changing that when you built the airplane, but um, I mean, no, do you go above and beyond? Okay. I'm not an engineer and I'm not an AMP and, you know, I can change spark plugs and, you know, put oil in the airplane. But if it comes to like really actually working on it, I would rather trust somebody that knows what they're doing. So I'm not going to chop it or change airfoils or change too much. Sure. Uh, the, the nice thing about working with MX is like, you know, I had this idea of what I wanted and they're the engineers. So they, the ones that figured it out and said, yeah, this can work and put it together. That's awesome. That sounds like a good working relationship. And obviously the airplane is, um, it speaks for itself. I mean, you speak for yourself when you fly it. I mean, it's, that's, it doesn't, there's no higher ultimate than the combination of Rob Holland and an MXS. Uh, I appreciate it. It's a really, really fun airplane. I still have to pinch myself that I get to fly it. It's, it's pretty cool. Fun. Yeah. I mean, as long as I keep paying the bank, they'll keep letting me fly it. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that matters, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously, uh, for, well, I, I know you, you, um, a time or two you've had, uh, extras in your stable, whether they were leased or borrowed uh, that you've flown uh, just cause I've seen videos of you flying extras. Um, but you haven't had one for any, um, extended period of time that you've flown competition in or air shows in, uh, looking at the extra three thirty, and obviously that's a, a very, you know, um, prestigious airplane with a lot of champions under its belt as an airplane. I think you yourself said it on the aerobatic pilots page on Facebook that that's a better arresty airplane. The MXS is the better freestyle airplane. Um, correct me if I, if you didn't say that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said that. No, uh, you know, a lot of people say that. Um, I, I hear that all over the place and I think it's kind <laughs> of gotten a bad stigma for that. And you know, the one is just not a lot of, there's not a lot of MXs out there, right? And right. just by that alone, there's not a lot of guys flying them in competition. And then, for whatever reason, I've been very successful with freestyle stuff. So it gets this reputation as being, you know, a really good freestyle airplane, not a good competition airplane because there's no one flying competition on. But I mean, it's a it's an awesome arresty airplane. Um, it does everything the extra will do. Um, if it flies different, but it flies different the same way as like an edge flies different or a Sukhoi flies different. You know, they kind sure. of have their own characteristics. doesn't necessarily make one better than the other. They're just different. Sure. You know, it's, it, the plane kind of has to fit your personality and the MX kind of fits my personality. So no, I sense. think it's a fantastic, uh, comp- I mean, you know, I've think I've been fairly successful with it and arresty 
competition. So it's, it's Oh, absolutely. I'd say so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's an apple swell. It draws lines forever. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually pretty easy to fly. That's amazing. It looks like just uh, the, the thing that I take away watching you and Adam fly that airplane is how relaxed you look under, under G uh, when flying it. Uh, that is that reclined position of the MXS like is that attributable to basically your body being under less strain for a given G when you're flying it? Yeah, I mean it helps. You're you're reclined, your feet and your knees are up high, kind of level with your heart. So it you know it definitely helps with the G's. But I've always found like really reclined seats don't help with negative G's. In fact, it feels like it makes them worse, and I don't know the physiology why. Interesting. As far as positive G's, yeah, it's, I'm not going to say that it makes the G's comfortable, but it makes it quite a bit easier. Sure, sure. Well, another interesting, I can't say who, but one of the French team pilots actually flew my airplane, and now they're selling their extra and getting an MX, so. Really? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good arrest of your airplane. That'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Um, that'll be great. really interesting. It'll be great because there'll be an MX in Europe. I was just going to, so I, I did kind of want to touch on that because obviously you can, you can shake a stick and find a 330 SE anywhere. Yep. Uh, I mean, I'm, that's a little tongue in cheek, but for uh, somebody that has to look at shipping their airplane to another country, I mean, that, that is kind of true. I mean, you could go to Europe and, and there's hopefully, or, you know, more than likely a 330 SE you can lease, borrow, rent, um, and, and do that kind of even in a group setting. Um, but obviously there isn't that with the MX and I, I did want to ask, um, how specific your airplane is set up to you. Um, but is that, I mean, that does present another problem cause you really don't have an airplane to borrow essentially. Yeah, I don't have one to borrow. Mine is pretty set up to, you know, if it's, if it's a world championship thing, then I will bite the bullet and ship my airplane, even though it's really expensive. Um, if it's something else that's happening over there, somebody wants me for an air show or it's, you know, kind of a fun competition type thing. That's not a world championship that I'm happy to just go over and borrow an airplane. So okay. now, that, now that hopefully there'll be one there for me to borrow, that makes things even easier. That's great. Yeah. What do you, um, is, how do I put this? Um, is it, is it a nationalism, uh, type of thing? That the, to attribute the reason why we haven't seen the MX more adopted in Europe, what, uh, what? it's it's I think it's just a certification type thing. Oh, uh, really? It's an experimental airplane, right? So it's really easy to register an experimental exhibition airplane here in the states. Like, yeah, really. Um, it's a bit more of a challenge in Europe. I'm not saying you can't do it because they're about to do it in France, and I think the one in France is going to open some doors. I hope, but. Yeah, it's 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 a regulatory thing. Wow. Okay, I did not realize that. Okay, I, that, that's like the last thing I would have guessed. That's interesting. So, yeah, okay, hopefully I mean, this. Like when I have my airplane there, I mean, all the pilots are coming over looking at it, and they all want to fly one someday. And I mean, they're all interested in getting them, and they all have the same reaction. It's just too bad we can't have them over here. So, hopefully that will change. But that's that's been the main reason. Interesting. Okay. Is there anything regulatory um, about, do you have to do anything special to get your airplane there? Do, I mean, does it have to be on like a special permit to even be there and fly in there uh, under their regulations for a period of time? Um, 
I think it depends upon where you go. Um, you know, like a, a U.S. pilot flying an unregistered airplane, that's that's no problem no matter where it's at. But as far as permission flying in the country, um, I've never really dealt with it, to be honest. Like there's a permit you have to get to go into Canada, but it's you literally print it off the Internet. Gotcha. Um, you know, so it hasn't been a hassle any place I've gone. Okay. And, some, and sometimes just the championships themselves kind of take care of it. So, you know, we're going to have some airplanes coming over. They're just flying at this event. They kind of get a blanket. Okay, bring them over here, but don't keep them here too long. Sure, sure. Especially, I guess, being wavered airspace probably helps too. Yeah. Um, so you me- you mentioned going over, uh, you know, uh, to another country to do air shows. Would you ever borrow it? Like, would you ever borrow an extra? Or are you, just, are you really trying to stick uh, to the MX when you fly uh, just for familiarity's sake? Well, I'd have to learn it, right? I mean, it's all about being safe and staying alive and not being dumb. And for me to just I, – I could jump in an extra and go up and fly aerobatics. To go sure. do surface-level, you know, full-on air show, no, I probably wouldn't be safe until I got some time in the airplane and learned its intricacies and the numbers and the gates and, and all that stuff that goes along with it. Sure. So you just got to be smart about it. Sure, sure. Uh, as far as um – coaching and the competition side of the house do you find it uh, or is there um obviously there's variance in in the airplanes you're coaching or the the people that you're coaching in different airplanes um do you find that kind of difficult to coach given somebody in an extra 330 or even you know a different type of airplane based on your your kind of mindset of being in an mxs not really um you know physics is physics so you know, how you pull on the stick and how you do a snap roll and how the airplane reacts. Technically speaking, they they all kind of fly the same, right? They might feel different. You know, an aileron might be heavier or lighter, might have more of a center. The elevator might be heavier or lighter. CG might be in a different location or whatnot. That's, that's a feel thing. Mm-hmm. But as far as the physics of how an airplane actually flies, all airplanes fly the same. You know, I mean, sure. Or Newton or whatever you want to call it, lift and drag and angle of attack, that's all the same. So no, the, the coaching is not that bad. It's um, and it doesn't really matter what kind of airplane they're in. Do you find um, are there airplanes that that you would coach to fly in a uh, you know a rusty figures? Um, it's a similar question. I'm I'm trying to trying to pinpoint the differentiation here, but um, as far as where airplanes show better, obviously you know the lines of EMX and monoplanes in general, uh, you know, have always said they've scored better than you know, biplanes and things like that. Do you find even within the monoplane world, MX, Extra, uh, Edge, Sukhoi, um, that you would have somebody fly a figure slightly different just for the judge's sake? Meaning, oh, you know. absolutely. So, for instance, um, how do I describe this over audio? So, if you look at the wing of an Extra, it, it actually has dihedral, right? So, the top of the wing mm-hmm. is perfectly flat and the bottom of it kind of angles up. It's got some taper to it and it, it's built in dihedral. If you look at the wing at the MX, it's it's a constant taper. There's no dihedral at all. Like it comes down to it slopes down as much as it slopes up. If that makes sense. Sure. So if you do something like a um, a four point roll, and say you roll to the judges, um, when you show them the flat part of the wing, it looks very square. Once you get to the third point, even if you're totally square because of the dihedral it looks like the top wing is angled away a little bit and it makes it look like you didn't quite make the point. So you have, uh, okay. to, you have to overroll just a little bit and cheat it to make it look correct. 
So you do have to do that in an extra. You don't have to do that in an MX or an edge. So there are, depending on what you're flying, there are subtle things you can do differently to make it present better. Gotcha. I've always wanted to ask this question to somebody who's really seasoned in competition, but obviously flying figures to their, um, you know, four point roll that you mentioned is a perfect example. Obviously flying a four point roll, you want perfect 90 degree stops right where, you know, horizontal or, uh, you know, level knife edge, inverted knife edge, um, back to horizontal flying these maneuvers in a specific airplane like the extra where you would have to overshoot for the judges. Do you find it hard or are you conflicted with flying the maneuvers to the judges and not to the essence of the maneuver itself? If that makes sense? No, it's a, it's a, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a sport, right? And the only person you're presenting the figures to at the judges, they're the only ones that matter and they're going to score based on what they see, not necessarily what you do. So, most figures, if you fly them perfectly, they're not going to score perfectly because a parallax and the way you look at it and where you are in the box, it's going to look off. If you know that and you know what the parallax is and you know where the judges are, you know you've been coached correctly, you can, you know, you call it cheat. It's not really cheating, but you can do these little cheats here and they're like sure. over rotating or an angle this way or an angle that way or whatnot to actually make it look perfect to the judges and, and get the better score. So it's, it's all just part of the sport. It's all part of the presentation. You know, presentation is everything in competition aerobatics. Um, you know, obviously you want to fly really good figures, but it's how you present the figures. I tell everybody, you can do a perfect round loop in the back corner of the box, and it's probably not going to score very well because it's presented horribly. Or if it's really high up at the front, it can be perfect, but it's going to look awful because the judge is looking straight up at it and the parallax doesn't look round. But if you put that perfect loop in the perfect spot of the box and you don't fly a perfect loop, it's probably going to score better just because of the presentation of it and where you're putting it. So, so you guys must place a lot of emphasis on that. Yeah. On I mean, presentation whether itself. Whether it's technically right or wrong, it's just the reality of it. So yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all about presentation and knowing the angles and presenting it to the judges. Do you find that it's hard to, to, to coach um, that out of somebody that, that, well, if somebody, I guess, is coming up through competition, I mean, you really start off, if you, as long as you're starting off being coached correctly or, or instructed correctly for competition, that's just ingrained right away then. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I haven't really run into anybody where I tell them, you know, okay, in that four-point roll, roll this direction, you have to be over in this point and under in that point. I mean, nobody really argues with it because you can sit on the ground and watch other people fly and say, oh, okay, yeah, that that's what looks right. You know, and that's what not looks right. So it's, no, I mean, people are pretty receptive to it. Sure. Do you find that, um, uh, obviously being a judge would be beneficial uh, to that, but do you encourage people to do that just so they get that perspective? Or, I mean, I guess you would get it just sitting on the judge's line anyway, but uh, do you find that being a judge gives you an edge in that regard? I'm not a judge and I never have been. And I haven't been on purpose just because I've worked with so many people and I've taught so many people. I never wanted to be in the line actually judging people I worked with. <laughs> um, but I mean, I've been on the judge's line. I'll be there as, as an assistant or a recorder or a volunteer or help out whatever I can, but I'm not an actual judge. I'd, I'd be way too critical anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would not be a very good judge. <laughs> oh, I could only imagine. Um, going back to the ultimate, um, mm-hmm. 
that is such a unique airplane in in terms of oh well, i mean just in terms of uh, I just, just the whole package i mean competition and um air shows for that matter i mean there, there's been a few but can you tell me a little bit more about that airplane in terms of uh you know what that did for you capability wise over especially over the over something like the pitts s2c which obviously is uh, the ultimate's a much more capable airplane but um just comparing those kind of two airplanes uh, i'm curious about your thoughts on it was a cool airplane. I mean, it was a big airplane. It was kind of long like a monoplane. Um, it had a big engine on it, 540. Um, it had double-swept wings. They were plywood-skinned wings, so it was rigid wings. So the, the front end flew very monoplane-ish, the way it oh, wow. rolled, the way it snapped, the way the wings stalled and reattached. Um, the tail end flew very pits-ish in the way that it behaved. Um, it had this unique system where the elevator was actually – connected to the ailerons so when you pulled back on the stick and the elevator went up the ailerons would actually droop a little bit give you better pitch rates when you push forward the ailerons would go up giving you better negative pitch rate and it worked really well it was pretty clever whoa that's cool that's super cool i i I was not aware of that that's that is that's pretty advanced yeah no is the plane was way ahead of its time um rolled really fat you know four full span ailerons rolled i don't know probably an honest I wouldn't say 360. I mean, it felt like 360, but 300 plus degrees a second, which is pretty fast for a pits, mm-hmm. a pits type airplane. Um, it was great. I mean, I really enjoyed flying it. It was fast. Um, it's comfortable. I had a re- it was, the seat wasn't as reclined as much as the MX, but it was probably 25, 30 degrees. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it, was, it was kind of a, it, it felt like a blend. You know, if you could blend a monoplane and a biplane, that's what you would come up with. And at How- the time, you know, I was a diehard biplane guy, and to this day, I'm still a closet biplane guy. I love biplanes. They're um, the best. They're, they're well, awesome. Everybody, if, you, if, you, if I pull up to the fuel pumps with my airplane, and somebody else pulls up the same fuel pumps with the rattiest biplane out there, everybody's going to go look at the biplane, including me, because it just has that <laughs> They're just cool and tough, and, and they make you work for it, too, which is great. You know, anything you do in a pits, you earn. Yeah. No. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're amazing airplanes. I mean, that was my, um, I mean, I started in a super decathlon and a Satabria and then moved on to the pits S2B and then S2C. Um, and I love that airplane. I, I, as far as thinking of thinking back at enjoyable flying, I, I tend to gravitate more towards thinking about my time in the pits than I do in the extra. Um, although I love the extra so much, it's, it's an amazing airplane, but I, I really, really, I, I'm a pits guy at heart too. Um, they're incredible airplanes. And I mean, quite th- honestly, it's, it's, the Pitts is the most honest airplane I've ever flown. It does exactly what you tell it to do, whether you tell it to do the right mm-hmm. thing or the wrong thing. It's yep, just good or bad. <laughs> and if you don't tell it what to do, it just does what it wants. But as long as you're telling it what to do, it does it. It's very honest. Do you think you'll see, or uh, the world will see a biplane um, at high level competition again, Wh- whatever it may be? I don't know. I mean, I think the technology is there to make a really, you know, awesome competition biplane. I just don't think anybody has the motivation to do it. You know, I think what would, what would make a comp like what would, if you were to build that airplane, I mean, especially your, your knowledge on, um, you know, unlimited airplanes, what, what would you do to a biplane to get it to kind of compete at that stage? I would make a modernized version of the ultimate. Really, I would take upon, you know, what they did with that airplane and expand and make it better. 
you know, keep put, keep rigid wings on it, maybe put a rigid tail on it. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not an aerodynamicist, but yeah, 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 no, uh, I, think could, I think you could take a design like that and make it even better. Just thinking of you know the shortcomings. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, just thinking of the shortcomings of a, of a typical biplane in competition now. I mean, um, yeah, I guess I mean, it's like the, you can't, the there's nothing. The, the Ultima was like mid to late '80s technology, right? So we've learned a lot since then. Sure. Yeah. Is there just not a demand? There must not be a. I mean, obviously there isn't a demand. Otherwise, there would be. But um, it it's would be pretty, interesting to see something like that. It's a pretty small niche market. Right. I mean, if you think of the grand total number of people who would buy something like that. So unless someone has the resources, just say, you know, I want this for myself. I don't care what the expenses are. Okay, fine. But as far as like making enough to sell and break even and pay for all the research and development, I just don't, there's probably just not the market for it. Sure. they're, They're barely selling regular pizzas right now. Yeah. In fact, I don't think, I don't know that they are. I'm not, I don't know that they sold one last year. Maybe they did. But I think they're. Yeah. I think uh, Aviat's building. It's like built to or uh, yeah, built to order kind of thing. Um, I don't. I don't know that they're rolling any out or anything, which yeah, is unfortunate. It's just. It's a pretty small market. I wish it was is, bigger. I wish there was more people doing it. I mean, I, I'm encouraging people to fly aerobatics all the time and get into it. But it's you know it's it's expensive too. Unfortunately. Sure. Yeah, it's expensive. There's there's uh, you know plenty of barriers to entry or. Um, on that note, uh, as far as outlook goes, um, for your profession and, and passion, um, are you seeing dwindling numbers of, of entry? Uh, I mean, are we, are we a dying breed aerobatic pilots? I say we, I'm not in the same camp as you, but I love aerobatics. Um, um I don't know. I'd hope so. I, I hope not. It's, it's kind of, um, it really kind of depends on what the economy is doing and what's going on. Right. If, if people have disposable income, they're more likely to go out and, and spend it on something like that. And it seems to sure. always fall just a few years behind where the economy gets good because the economy is bad. People sell off. They don't have the money to do it. The economy comes back and it's like it takes two or three years for people to get comfortable with, okay, the economy's back. I actually have the money put away. Now I can get into this. So I think it's very cyclical. Is that the word? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's definitely smaller than it was, but I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I hope not. Uh, in fact, I'd like, I'd love to see it grow. Are you, um, as far and not to get, um, political within the IAC, but are you, are you hopeful with the recent, um, presidential change changes? If I, I guess if that's the right way to put it, um, are you, are you hopeful of some positive changes, uh, that would derive from that? And, um, what would you like to see? I'm on the board of directors, so I'm directly involved in all of that. Sure. And I'm thrilled that uh, Jim Burke is now the president. I think he's going to do a great job. I think I think he's going to do great on all levels. You know, it seems like in the past there's been this headbutt between, you know, people thinking, oh, you know, there's the, the top, the unlimited guys in the teams, and then there's grassroots, right? And it's like one against the other. I don't think it is one against the other. I think one – like you can't have the top guys without grassroots because you have to come from somewhere. So you do have sure. to support the grassroots, but you can't just get rid of the top guys. It's like having um, Little League with no Major League Baseball. You know, what's there to strive for? You know, what's there to look up to? What's there to motivate you to even get into it in the first place? Sure, so, sure. And, and what I like about Jim is that he has both interests in mind. You know, he's going to 
help at the top levels, but he's probably going to put even more effort into the grassroots and helping out the primary guys, the sportsman guys, and promoting it and trying to get new members in and you know, just making the sport overall more accessible and, and, and better. That's awesome. I'm super excited. Jim's a great guy. Um, I, uh, I've only had brief run-ins with him and know, know him from, uh, um, from having his airplane at attitude in Livermore, uh, for a little while and flying his yak 54 and, um, getting to talk to him a little bit. He's, he's a great guy. And, and I really like his, um, how do I say this? He's, he's, his, his tech savviness, I think, and his ability to think and, and be, and think modernly, if that's the right way to put it, I really feel like that's going to be a good thing for the sport. Um, I do too. I mean, um, he just has a lot of good ideas. He's a a hard worker. Um, he understands the tech side of it. He understands the people side of it. Um, he's, if you ever like work with them one-on-one, what I like is he'll, he listens to both sides, right? And then he processes it and he comes to the best conclusion, right? It, if you have an idea that's better than his idea, he'll be like, huh, that's a good idea. And he'll run with it. You know, he's not that's so stubborn that it's his way or the highway. That's great. Yeah. No, I think, I think he's going to be fantastic. I mean, we're, we're only, what, a couple months into him being the president. we got a long way to go. You know, there's a financial situation within the IEC right now because of everything that's going on and lost income because there was no air venture and there's no nationals. So there's there's a lot of stuff on his plate that he inherited that he has to deal with. It's but a tough way, start. Yeah, but the way he's dealing with it, I think he's doing a fantastic job and he's got my full support. That's awesome. That's great to hear. I'm super excited to see what the future holds uh, with him uh, with him at the helm. Um, you mentioned grassroots and I know you, uh, you asked – that specific question on the aerobatic pilots page on Facebook um, is grassroots. Of, is, is that just a, is saying amateur versus pro kind of another way to put grassroots versus, you know, kind of the teams um, in, in terms of looking at it like that? Um, are we, you know, the so, IAC going forward, is there going to be kind of uh, you know, recreational aerobatic pilots, that have no desire to compete in the world stage, but want to do well here versus the, the, the career. I almost want to say career track professional track is the better way to put it. Even though I know um, I, as much as you'd want to get paid to do <laughs> to compete, uh, it's not the most uh, illustrious uh, paid career, um, but it is a professional track. I mean, you guys really are athletes that are working hard and you're, and, and it's a professional pace. Um, is that kind of the, the parallel that we're looking at? Well, you know what? I mean, first off, before I start getting my little ramble here, I mean, I support all aerobatics and from the, the bottom up, and it's all incredibly important and necessary. The word itself, grassroots, drives me nuts because all I ever hear is we need to support grassroots, we need to support grassroots, we need to support grassroots. I agree, but what is it? What's the definition of grassroots? And it's I didn't have an answer for you. That's why I didn't even po- – I couldn't even answer. I'm like, yeah. I actually – well, it, it's, what it comes down to is it means different things to different people, right? And that was part of the reason why I put that post on there. If you read through all the answers, you know, there's like 130 some odd answers on there. And for yeah, the most part, it's a broad range. Yeah. Everyone has a different idea and, and none of them are wrong. Not one of them is wrong, right? Because that's what it is to them. Sure. So my thing all along is like, how you know, we always throw this grassroots term around like politicians throw around you know or think about the children 
right? Yeah, it's just the right. way it, how can you not support children so that you're going to fall in line with what they want? <laughs> oh, do you hate children now? Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's the same thing. So I want to support that stuff and, and I will support that stuff. And I think Jim will support that stuff. But how do you, I mean, if everybody has a definition of it, how do you support one definition definition without, you know, not supporting somebody else's? It's, it's kind of a weird thing. And if you really think about it, like, like the team members, right? You can say that they're professional in what they do, but it's all out of pocket. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, we're, we're like, I mean, I can speak for me. I take everything I make and I put it into that and I pay my own way. Yeah. In a way, how is that not grassroots? I'm not getting paid to do that. It's hundred percent grassroots. Do I'm not getting paid to do competition. Anybody that's, and, that's swiping their card to load their airplane onto another airplane and ship it to another country to do what they love is that if that doesn't meet the definition of grassroots, I that's why I legitimately could not answer your question. Cause I'm like, you yeah. know, it's, it's such a, it's almost a, it's like a trigger. It is. It's, it's a trigger word. It's like, it's almost, um, it, it disarms a response when you say grassroots, it's like, well, that, that can mean anything to anybody, just like you said. And I don't even know how to, I don't know how to compartmentalize it. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to support it. And I keep bringing up questions that, and I mean, they're questions that can't really be answered really. But, you know, you say, someone will say, well, grassroots is like underpowered airplanes and someone's starting off in a decathlon or whatnot. Okay. I, I support that. But what if someone, they happen to be financially lucky enough and their first airplane's an extra and they sure. spend all their money, they buy an extra and they enter primary and they're learning how to fly aerobatics. Is sure. that not grassroots also? I, I, I think it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, it's just it's it's a tough one, um, and I support all. I mean, and the real realistically, like in the IAC, we have I forget what it is right now. It's like thirty seven hundred members, right? Of which maybe five or six hundred actively compete. That's right. a lot of people in that membership that don't compete, and they need to be supported. And if they have an RV or they have a decathlon or they have an extra or they have whatever and they just like to go up on the weekends and do a couple loops and rolls and they have their fun and they're safe doing it and then they put it away and they're satisfied, that's awesome. We need to support that too. You know, if someone oh. has a P51 and goes and does aerobatics, we need to support that. To, to me, it's, it's, it's an aerobatic club. It's not a competition club. If it was a competition club, we would only support competition. Right. It's an aerobatic club. So it means we should be supporting and promoting and encouraging all the different variations of aerobatics that there is out there. That's an interesting um, kind of breakdown on, on that ideology. Has there been, has there been, um, has, has there been pushback on the idea to support that, I guess? Um, yeah, or is there a direction change of the IAC or like, as far as I, you know, are there is there an identity crisis in, in terms of like what the IAC really is and not trying no, I mean, not trying all, to define that? I don't think there's any crisis. I think it's the same question that's been being asked for a long, long, long time. You know, there's there's people who are diehard competition people, or diehard quote unquote grassroots people, there's diehard you know teams people, and that, and that's all fine. But we just have to have have to have the understanding that the club is there to support all of it really. Right. And you can't, can't sure. support one so much that it takes away from the other. And, you know, there's the argument that, you know, with the teams, it's, you know, 
eight people going to the world championships out of an organization of 3,700. Why should we spend resources on eight people? Well, they don't really, right? I mean, we don't get any money from the IAC. We don't get a lot of support from the IAC. And that's that's not me knocking them. It's just the reality of the financial situation. We pay our own sure. way. Yeah. So, you know, most of the attention actually does go to the quote-unquote grassroots stuff. So, no, I mean – So do you actually – is, is there a concerted amount of complaint? Or Yeah, it's, it, this is just – and when I said uh, identity crisis, I didn't mean a literal crisis. It's just more of like trying to de- define what the IAC is and, and, and what it means. And then um, is there um, – do you guys see kind of a number of complaints from people that are like, hey, I've got my RB3. I do loops and rolls. Like why are my dues – sending these guys to Croatia. Um, no, do, you see, do you guys well, see anything well, first, like that? No. Well, first of all, the, the dudes aren't sending us there because. No, I, no, I know they're not, but I just, <laughs> I'm just kind of curious, <laughs> curious what the, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I don't, I don't really see a lot of that. I mean, you know, typically in an organization like this, it's a lot of alpha personalities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, type A personalities. So everybody has their own ideas of what they want. But I mean, for, you know it's, it's a functional club. It does what it's supposed to do. It puts out a cool magazine. It supports its members. It supports its teams. It puts on national championships. It supports aerobatics and safety. So, you know, there's always going to be different people who want different things. But at the end of the day, of course, you know what? It's, it's really a group made up of really, really good people. If someone doesn't have the same thought process on it that I do, they're not a bad person. They just think about it differently. And that's cool. You know, just because I think about it differently than them, that doesn't make me a bad person. So it's it's all good. It's you know, there's always going to be a little bit of politics in anything, sure. unfortunately. But it's an organization. I would, I would say ninety five percent of it is running really well. That's great. Yeah. Is um is there um any any significant um campaigns or or things that. Uh, you know, you guys want to see moving forward for the IAC, like, uh, you know, as far as the future, obviously, you know, the future is bright COVID again, notwithstanding. (laughs) Um, but just as as far as looking forward, you know, um, is there something pressing on, on that's weighing on you that you would really like to see implemented changed or, um, anything like that? I'm just, just kind of curious. Uh, the biggest thing I'd like to see change, which, hopefully I can help out with is how we market ourselves. It seems like we're an organization that markets to ourselves, right? And yeah. Yeah. So a certain level that's important because you need to retain members, but you don't get new members by marketing to yourself. Right. So there's a lot of avenues out there that we could go after, like working with the EAA to talk to all their members, however many of that hundreds of thousands of that is, or, um, Going, you know, where's the greatest concentration of aerobatic enthusiasts anywhere? They're at air shows, right? Air so shows, why aren't we yeah. trying to find some way to market at air shows to get people interested in the club, educate them on it, you know, let them know that it's out there if they want to be a part of this cool group that they're they're welcome to. Sure. It's, what is it like with the EAA membership? It's like eighty five bucks a year. That's yeah, you know, a couple weeks worth of Starbucks coffee. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah. not that bad to be a member of this pretty cool club. No, no. And it's so, awesome. I mean, yeah, obviously it's, it's a club, it's a great club to just be a part of, but, um, exactly. it's, it's the marketing um, side of it. I'd like to see pushed a little bit in the, in my opinion, in the appropriate direction. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I mean, um, I've, uh, I, I was, I've talked to, about this to a few people and, and Reno Arias is a, 
always been one of those ones where I've thought has been oddly marketed um, poorly Um, just from a demographic standpoint. And, you know, the IAC, it would be great to see more exposure to the IAC and, um, you know, get obviously membership is great because that brings dollars in, but just, just more visibility uh, would be awesome. Do you find that that's going to be down to the, 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 the local chapters or, is that going to have to come up from the top? I think it starts at the top. I mean, I think the local chapters are incredibly important, right? Because you can find that kid at the fence that's, you know, looking in and awe and invite them in and take them for an aerobatic ride and get, get them hooked, right? Put the Fulfill their dream and, and show them what it's really about and get them excited about it. So, yeah, I think on a, on a chapter level it's very important. But I think from a big marketing perspective it really needs to come from the top and to sure. come up with an actual marketing strategy a legitimate strategy yeah yeah that makes sense um let's see here okay i wanted to ask you about this how did it feel to win the eric mueller award huh. um pretty surreal uh i was i'm pretty proud of that one um, that's amazing no, I've been working pretty hard at this for a long time, and to win that was, yeah, it took a while for it to sink in that I actually accomplished that. Would that would you say that's your probably your uh, biggest highlight of all your achievements? I mean, um, yeah, um, it's it's up there. Yeah, it's it's right at the top. I mean, I've I've been pretty fortunate, and I've done quite a few things. I'm I'm proud of. You know, it's funny how, like, the harder I work in this, the luckier I get. Sure. <laughs> Hard work pays off, not to be cliche, but, you know, yeah, exactly. it's, it's kind of true. But yeah, it's, like, winning championships and all that stuff, it's, I mean, obviously it's great. It's nice. I'm, I'm happy to have those titles. But to me, it's all a personal thing. The one thing about competition aerobatics, and other people have heard me say this, that it's, it's not a defensive sport, right? It's, right. I can't show up at a competition and affect how somebody else is going to fly their airplane. They're just right. going to fly the best they can. So the only thing I can do is fly my airplane the best I can and hopefully fly it better today than I did yesterday. And that's sure. how I measure myself. Did I do better today than I did yesterday? Where the cars land in the competition, they land. I can't affect how somebody else is going to fly. It's not like I can block a, a shot, right? Sure. So, um, and I think that attitude has really helped me because I don't, really get nervous at competitions. I don't worry about what other people are doing. I'm not, you know, in quote unquote competition with somebody else that's there. Cause I'm just there in competition with myself and the judges are just a way to measure where I'm at and if I'm improving. And that's kind of all I want to do. I just, when I'm eventually done with a sport, I want to know that I got to the best that I could possibly get myself, not compared to anybody else, but that I couldn't get any better. And that was the peak for me. So that's, that's what I'm always striving for. And to get the Eric Mueller trophy that I still don't think I'm there, but I think I'm on the way of getting to the best that I can be. And that it's kind of a, I don't know what the word is, but kind of some validation that the hard work is paying off. Sure. Sure. Oh my gosh. What an achievement. Um, so who coaches Rob Holland when Rob Holland is flying? I have been working with a French coach. Um, his nickname is Coco. 
He was uh-huh, the yeah. French team coach for a long, long time. And in 2013, he watched me fly at the World Championships, and he gave me his business card and said, I'd like to work with you sometime. And wow. I didn't think much of it at the time because he was the French coach. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work. And then lo and behold, he wasn't the French coach anymore because of French politics that I won't get into. So I wrote him an email and said, hey, I got your business card, and you're obviously the best, and would you be willing to work with me? And at the time, the U.S. team, and he said, yeah, he'd love to. I asked him what his motivation was, and he, he said, to win. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and That's I good. Started, That's good motivation. <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. He's a great person, um, and I've been working with him ever since. Yeah, he's been instrumental in helping me a lot. That's that's amazing. Yeah, but somebody, uh, you know, at your level, I've always wondered. You know, it's like, do you, you know, are you the one that they, that doesn't get the attention they deserve as far as your progression because you're always helping everybody else, uh, you know, progress and and work on their flying. Um, how you know you must have to actually cognitively think about working on yourself, working on your own flying. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, what I find is. So, so there's critiquing and there's coaching, right? And there's really two different things. And sometimes you just want critiquing. You want to know if something's looking good or it's not looking good, right? So you can go work on it more. Sure. And I find some people, it's like they're, it's like they don't want to give you a bad critique, like they're intimidated. It's like, no, tell me, you know, I know you can tell. Because <laughs> I'm talking to other aerobatic people. You can tell if the loop is round. You can tell if the roll is in the middle of the line. And tell me. I, I need the feedback. I'm trying to. You know, I don't want someone to tell me how good I am. I want someone to tell me all my mistakes so I can get better. Sure. Um, so it, it, the critiquing side is tough, trying to find someone to give you honest critique. I do have a few people I work with, and they're fantastic. But if you're just at a random place with some people you know, it's kind of hard to get the good information. But you know, I usually try to bring Coco over three times a year, work with him for a week each time, and that that's pretty helpful. Okay. Helpful a lot. He's he's the master of presentation and, and strategizing how to how to put a real good flight together. Gotcha. So you'll work with him individually, and then obviously as a team, uh, you guys will work with him as well. I would imagine. Yeah, whenever I have him over, I always try to get three or four other guys to to be a part of the camp and you know work with him also. Sure, sure. That's awesome. Um, so what what burning um, achievement? do you have that, that you kind of haven't achieved yet? I mean, I mean the, the laundry list of your achievements is insane. Um, probably one of the coolest aside from the Eric Mueller is honorary blue angel. That's, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, that's one of my that's, favorites. That's, that still hasn't sunk in yet. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, um, that totally surprised me with that one. That, that's so cool. Uh, I'm former Navy and I worked on F 18s and, and so I've, I've just have a wow. huge affinity to the blue angels and, um, Oh, thank you. Um, I just, uh, yeah, love them to death. So uh, that that's just it was so cool. And obviously, um, the air to air photos of whenever you fly with any other demo team, but the uh, the Blue Angels. I mean, they just it just is beautiful. Um, but yeah, is there any, um, you know, what what haven't you achieved yet that it just keeps you up at night? Um, I oh. I'm still on the journey, right? And, and like I said before, what what I want to achieve, I just, whenever it all comes to an end, I want to be able to say that I was the best that I could be. 
Again, not compared to anybody else, not saying the best, but just the best that I could be. Sure. And I don't feel I'm there yet, whether it's um, on the creative side of like air show flying or the, the discipline and the perfection of competition flying. I just don't feel like I'm there yet. And that's, that's where I want to be. That's, that's the goal. Whatever titles or championships or rewards or whatever along, comes along the way, that's awesome and I appreciate it and it's some nice validation. But it's, it's still not a real measure of me to myself. Sure. So that, that's, you know, there's no particular award. I mean, I'd love to be world champion, you know, overall world champion. That'd be fantastic. But if I don't, but I know that I peaked and I got to the best that I could be. I'm okay with that. I'm, I'd be thrilled with that. That's great. Cause at least, you know, the journey is with yourself and not, you're not comparing yourself to anybody else and, and living with that stress of having to beat somebody else. Uh, you're really, it's just like kind of a man. You're just like, a, you're just a nomad, just killing it, trying to get better. It's awesome. Yeah, the other side of it, especially with like air show flying and some of the freestyle stuff, is just trying to find a way to elevate the sport. And um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To just make it grow. So when I was first getting into stuff, I would always ask questions like, well, "Why can't an airplane do this?" And I was just told, "Because I can't." Well, why can't an airplane do that? Because I can't. Well, what if you want to do this? Well, an airplane won't do that. And you know, I was, I guess I'm just like a little kid that's always like, why, why, why? Sure. Right? So, you know, when I finally got my hands on some of these things to be able to fly myself, I was like, well, why not? Let's figure it out. I mean, physics is physics, right? If it's going to work in this direction, why want to work in this direction? How do we make it different? Sure. You know, so, and I also looked at like air show flying and flying as a whole, and it always seemed like there were these moments and times where these spurts where people would come up with these new things and it would um, elevate the sport and then it plateau, right? Cause everybody's just copying each other for the longest time and trying to do the same stuff instead of trying to do something that other people aren't doing. So I kind of came along during one of these plateaus. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. I want to do something new and different and fun and try to be creative and make this thing more than what it is. So you know, that's why I'm always trying to come up with new things. I'm trying to think of new figures and grow it to something more than it is now. And then hopefully someday someone can take that and then say, well, let's make it even more. Let's stop, cop- stop copying his stuff and do something even better. So, sure. yeah, it's just about, yeah, just trying to evolve the sport into something more than what it is right now. So on the air show side and, and, how many um, maneuvers are you coined with creating? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I actually created them or if just your spin or whatnot. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I haven't seen done that, you know, the first person I saw do them is me, but that doesn't mean that in all the years of aerobatics, somebody else hasn't stumbled upon it. So I right. don't know. But like, you know, the inside tumble and the Frisbee and Nivik and a few other things. It's just, thinking about it for a long time going, how do I make an airplane do that? And then, and quite frankly, you know, you come up with a hundred ideas and then you go and 
you think of all the physics and what could go wrong and what's the recovery and what's the failure mode and how you're going to do it. And then you try and you realize, no, there's no way an airplane can actually do that. Sure. So there's, there's a lot of stuff the plane won't do. But every now and then you do stumble upon something. Like, the inside oh, tumble is one of my favorites. I, that is blows me blows me away. It just blows yeah. me away how easy you make it look in that airplane. It's so freaking cool. Well, what people don't see is how long it took to figure it out, and then how long it took to actually incorporate it into an air show. Sure, and, and that's, that's what I wanted to ask you: is the process of something like that. So the inside tumble is something I thought about for a long, long time, um, and a lot of it was just thinking about it and the physics and like okay so an outside tumble works because of whatever gyroscopics and physics and aerodynamics why you know why wouldn't it work the other way well it turns out it does and it's just a matter of you know finding the sweet spot to do it but i worked on it trying it for probably a year maybe a little bit more okay never got, it, never got it to actually work and then one day it actually did work and kind of scared the crap out of me. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well, the first few times you do it, it's a weird sensation because it's a positively loaded figure, but you're sitting yeah. behind the G, so in the cockpit it's negative. It's a weird sensation to pull back in the stick but go out of the seat. Yeah, so yeah. It kind of threw me for a loop. The first now, now I'm totally used to it. It doesn't bother me anymore, obviously. But I was like, whoa! And then I tried to repeat it, and I I couldn't get it to work again for about another month. And then finally, uh, I kind of figure it out and got consistent with it. And then from when I could actually do it to when I incorporated it to an air show was another year and a half because I wanted to find all the oh failure modes. I want to find out what the gates are, what the speeds are, how do you do it consistently, how do you get it so 100% of the time it comes out 100% the same way. Sure. Um, you know, all the margins in case something does get hung up that you can get out of it safely. And then how do you incorporate it into an air show? Because something has to come before and something has to come after it and it's got to work energy wise with the whole rest of the sequence. So yeah, it's a, it's most of these figures aren't, you know, you stumble upon something and a week later it's in an air show. It's a long, sure. long thought out process as it should be. And that's one of the issues. I, I can be careful. I say this, like people doing the figures that I do, I think it's great. I don't have any problem with someone trying to, quote unquote, copy my stuff. What I have a problem with is them just, you know, so I figured it out and then they kind of copy that and then they start doing it in an air show right away or wherever it is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, there's, there's a lot to this you need to know. If it, yeah. What are the failure modes? You know, what is it, if you go one rotation too long, what's it going to develop into? You know, if you got hung up, how much altitude do you need to recover? You know, learn all this stuff first and then put it in your air show so you're safe with it. Well, and that's probably the problem too, is like, especially the, the inside tumble specifically, it looks, you make it look easy. I mean, it, it looks easy. I mean, just hearing you, you talk about it took a year it, and then another year to even get into an air show, like is a little mind blowing because you make it look so easy and not, not, I'm not trying not to blow smoke here, but like it really does look like an effortless maneuver by you, which is a testament to how you perfected that maneuver. So if somebody sees that. And then it's like, all right, I mean, I, shit, I can outside tumble, whatever. I know how that, I know how that behaves. Let me go try to inside tumble, which I don't know that, I'm not sure that I've seen anybody else do that, but maybe they are. Um, I don't know. Can you even, uh, have you inside tumbled an extra? <laughs> I don't know. Are there, yeah, um, other um, but yeah, they must see that, you know, see the maneuver, try it, get it to work. 
a few times or get it to work enough to where the, they like it, but then just don't put the effort into seeing how it can go wrong. And they don't know the effort that you put in seeing how it could go wrong and the, yeah. or, the wrong that you saw. The thing is when it's, when it's in an air show, like if, if I'm doing a figure in an air show for me, it should be easy. It should be effortless. Sure. It should be completely second nature and I shouldn't have to put a lot of thought and attention and, and everything I do in air show shouldn't be hard. Right. No, it should be effectively boring, right? I mean, it should be yeah, rehearsed it should be, and, and routine. To the point where it's, you know, I want my concentration to be on where am I? How high am I? What's my speed? What's the outside conditions? Where's the wind doing? Where's the, where's the crowd? Where's the 500 foot line? That's where I want my concentration, not on the mechanics of the maneuver. Right. So, you know, I get asked all the time, what's the hardest thing you, thing you do in an air show? It's like, well, none of it. It's, it's, it's all practice to the point where I don't want to say it's easy, but it's, it's easy. <laughs> no, it's routine, but it is. It's, it's routine. Yeah. I mean, it should and it should be. You shouldn't have to think about flying the airplane and exactly. where show center is, where the crowd line it's is. The very first time you try to ride a bike, it's hard, right? And you're falling off. You need training wheels. And now you jump on a bike. You don't think about it. You just get on and go. You're never thinking about how do I balance this thing? How do I pedal? How do I steer it? It just happens because now it's easy. It should be the same thing with with air show flying. Sure. Do you find that, um, especially this year? Um, I mean, how how much time do you devote? Uh, to putting your air show hat on and actually practicing your routine, even right now, knowing that you don't have an air show, or is that something that you kind of lay dormant for a bit and then warm up? Like as you, this, hopefully this air show uh, in Stewart goes off, um, will you ramp up that yeah, that side so of the house? I've been practicing off, off and on all year. Um, if I can find a week here, or there are five days here and there to get to my airplane and actually practice. I do just cause I'm, you know, I still want to progress at, at, at a very minimum. I want to at least, stay where I'm at and not degress. Sure. Um, and obviously before the air show, I'll spend a few weeks practicing in the airplane and, you know, making sure that I'm hundred percent or 110%. But it's just, it's such a weird year. You know, I'm traveling a lot doing coaching, which means I'm not with my airplane and then I have to get back to it. So, you know, a typical year I'm doing 300, 350 hours a year. And this year I'll be lucky to do 75 to a hundred. So wow. it's a very off year. Yeah, and that that's just got to be a, a hit just uh, from a um, just a routine. I'm not I'm not saying airshow routine, but your routine um, standpoint. I mean, that's a significantly decrease, significant decrease in your flying. Yeah. Um, that yeah. that. So it's just to the point where if I get in the airplane, I'm trying to make every hour count. You know, it's all sure. hard training and hard practicing, and you know, which I enjoy. I I love practicing. Um, I've always said an airshow always gets in the way of a good practice. <laughs> because you get better, you get better practice. You don't get better at an air show. And I love air shows. Don't get me wrong. I I love the people. I love you know the crowd and the people I perform with and, and everything about it. But I, you know, to have a few weeks to be by myself practicing and have somebody watching or coaching or trying to be creative and come with new stuff, I I enjoy that more than anything. Sure. Do you um is your your do you still live in New Hampshire? I do. Do you move your airplane seasonally to, to kind of be able to practice all year? Or uh, do you, um, I mean, do you find the air show season kind of takes care of that for you normally? Yeah. I mean, my airplane is very rarely actually in New Hampshire. I mean, if it spends a week there a year, it's a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, it spends the winter wherever I'm getting it maintained that winter. Uh, the past few years, it's been at um, a guy named Chris Rudd's place down in uh, Tallahassee. He's a really good mechanic and kind of specializes in aerobatic airplanes. Oh, cool. So I'll spend the winter there getting all gone through and taken apart and make sure it's safe. And then I spend most of my time practicing in Louisiana. I have some friends there. 
Um, they have a box at an airport that there's nobody at. So I spend a lot of time there and I'll, that's where my plane has spent most of its time when I'm not with it is I just store it there. Nibs okay. and air shows, and it is kind of show to show. And then, um, trying to find spots, you know, in between that are good for practicing. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're in California now, um, yep. getting ready for, well, you're, you're getting people ready for Acrofest in Borrego. Yeah. Um, I have a final question for you. Yeah. I've heard a rumor that you might be flying sportsmen in a uh, Great Lakes. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. You know, they, they want me to. I'm, I mean, quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm being paid to be here, right? I'm, I'm here to work. I'm here to coach some guys. So my priority sure. is for them. And I don't want to take away time from that. So, and I'll help anybody else out too. You know, if anybody wants me to critique one, and I'm happy to do that. But I'm here for those guys. I'm here to coach them and help them through everything. So, you know, if, if I can get some time in the airplane and have a little bit of fun, awesome. But I think the chances of that actually happening are probably slim and none. And I don't want to take away from anybody else's time too. So, Sure. It would be yeah, fun. Be- I like doing it, but I'm, I'm, I'm here to do a job. <laughs> keep the, uh, you're you're going to keep the, uh, the coach hat on, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah. It starts tomorrow, right? Uh, yeah, I think tomorrow's practice day and the competition starts on Friday, I believe. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, if, if that's not the only competition that's occurred in California, there's only been one other one and I can't even think what it would have been Apple Valley. No, it was, I think it was at Maybe. Fox field. Fox, Foxy figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, um, is there anything you want to plug now? I know this year's a weird year, but um, anywhere where uh, you know people could buy T-shirts or uh, donate to the teams, um, anything that you want to plug? Uh, yeah, I mean, if they want to donate to the team, they can go on the IEC website. Um, you got to kind of hunt around for it, but there is a place on there that donates to the teams, and that's always appreciated. I mean, every little bit helps. Um, I'll find a link and I'll put it in my in the show notes of the podcast so people can click the link. Okay. Um, you know, if people are interested in my stuff, they can jump on my website. There's a store and there's t-shirts and patches and whatnot. Um, yeah, that's about it. Just, you know, if I'm going to plug anything, I just want to plug the sport and all aspects of it. You know, if you, if you haven't done aerobatics, get involved and check it out and, you know, find your local IAC chapter and find a bunch of like-minded people that like cool airplanes. Yep. It'll ruin you forever in the best way possible. Yeah, totally. A friend of mine once said, you know, aerobatics is just as expensive now as it was 50 years ago. It still takes every single penny that you make. <laughs> it still takes all of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so true. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's a, it's one of those, it, that's, that's what defines true passion. You know, if you, if you love it and you go broke doing it, it's awesome. Well, and it's <laughs> the people too, right? I mean, the, the flying is a, the major portion of it because it's, it's so much fun and it's, you know, makes you a better pilot and the discipline and everything about it is amazing. But the people there in this sport are amazing too. You know, some of the best friends I've ever made are involved in whether it's air shows or competition or just the local, you know, guy at the airport who has a steerman that likes to go bomb around or whatever it is. You know, it's just full of amazing people with amazing stories and amazing backgrounds. And there's so much to learn just from the individuals themselves. Yeah. A lot of that stuff, aerobatics, whether it's aerobatics or warbirds, some of the funnest times I, I can remember is just shooting the shit in the hangar uh, with a beer or with a water, depending on the time of day and what you're doing. But just just kind of hangar flying and, and 
hanging around like-minded people that love, love this stuff. Uh, it's so much fun. And the information that you get is invaluable too, but it's just so much fun. Totally. Totally. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much, Rob, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I hope to talk to you soon. You can come back on here anytime you want to plug anything or uh, once the 2021 looks up and, and you got a full schedule ahead, I'd love to have you back on to talk about it and uh, wish sure. you the best of luck. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for having this podcast. I think it's pretty cool. We'll see how it goes. You know, I, I was thinking about what to do and it's just like, you know, I just want to kind of talk to people about flying aerobatics and flying fun stuff and just shooting the shit, you know, cause it, I, there wasn't a podcast like it. So hopefully it, hopefully it's well received. So far it's been pretty good, but uh, yeah, you know, just get, get the aerobatic world uh, a little more, a uh, little more visibility through a podcast, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's plenty of interesting people out there. So I, I wish you all the luck with it. I appreciate it, Rob. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Have a good one. All right. And that wraps it up. Episode four is in the bag. What'd you guys think of Rob Holland? You guys learn anything? Hopefully something. Um, If anything, at least what an amazingly nice guy Rob is. Uh, Super nice of him to come talk to uh, me in this shitty little podcast. That was really cool. So I really appreciate Rob for coming on. If you guys can support Rob in any way, check out his uh, website. I've got his website in the show notes. Then I've also got a link to the IAC um, section for the uh, U.S. Unlimited team to give donations. You know, these guys all come out of pocket. So when they ship their airplanes overseas or when they're competing, I mean, even going to national, I mean, like they are not professional pilots and the IAC does not support them financially in terms of uh, getting to and from uh, competitions and um to actually do these competitions they are not paid uh, as you hear rob said so it's a huge financial burden give you know five ten fifteen twenty hundred bucks ten million dollars whatever to support uh, the iac cause and it was really interesting to hear um his his definition of or why he asked grassroots so on the aerobatic pilots page on facebook he had asked this question he had, he had posed the question to everybody you know like what is grassroots and um it's interesting to hear that there is, you know, at least in his uh, space, or maybe you know, maybe there isn't larger talk of this. That's kind of why I asked if the IAC was having a, a bit of an identity crisis, not figuring out who the IAC is, but is there talk of trying? Uh, is there somebody that is undersupported that is voicing their opinion? And, and maybe it does kind of sound like that. Um, maybe it's not, but maybe it is. It's a question that, um, or it's. You know, the IC is trying to figure out an answer to a question that hasn't been asked yet, which is great. You know, that's forward thinking. And uh, Jim Burke is is well on the task. Super excited to see what he does, as is Rob. Um, Everybody I've talked to is very excited about the leadership um, and and the direction of the IAC. But um, Rob supports it all, man. You know, the guy doing lazy aerobatics in the RV to, uh, you know, his team members and everything in between. Aerobatics is aerobatics and we love aerobatics. That's, That's why I started this podcast. You know, I'm just a guy that loves aerobatics. I, I teach recreational aerobatics, but, you know, I'm not a competition pilot. But I admire and fully respect uh, competition. And, I, I mean, I love it. Love the idea. And I love the IAC. I love what the IAC has done for the sport and done for the recreation. And I think that's, you know, um, maybe there is two lanes to this aerobatic stuff. You know, there's, there's those people that will never, ever want to compete but still want to be part of the IAC. And I haven't competed, but I'm an IAC member, and I'll always be an IAC member. Uh, I do plan on competing, but 
Yeah, so it's kind of interesting to, you know, to touch on uh, grassroots and what grassroots means. And, you know, let me know. Shoot me a message. Let me know what grassroots means to you. Uh, do you feel you're represented by the AAC? I do. Uh, you know, I feel like they're a good, uh, it's a good organization. I'm not usually a huge fan of the alphabet groups. I've been um, in and out of AOPA for years. And for no other reason, um, I mean, I know they do a lot of good, but uh, again, it's it's when you have a broad um, mission, sometimes the direction of, of or, or the interests are not your interests, I will say, or you feel like maybe what you want them to represent isn't being represented. And so maybe that is happening in the IAC. Hopefully not. But uh, if it is, you know, readjust. But I'd, uh, to Rob's point, I'd love to see marketing done correctly. Jim is really good as far as just being, he's just modern. You know, he thinks in a modern way. You know, his, uh, you know, critiquing, aerobatic critiques uh, on YouTube. I know he was developing some, uh, some software to be able to do stuff as far as video and remote critiques, you know, and maybe, maybe we get to the point where we can actually have telemetry and, in cockpit cameras and maybe live streaming of these competitions because I, w- I would watch it and I would, I'd pay money. I mean, I, I think Petra and I talked about this a little bit. I mean, I'd pay I'd pay 100 bucks a year easily to, to just watch a competition somewhere where I can't be, um, you know, between a wife, two kids and jobs and having to clean a house and whatever. You know, my wife and I both work. Uh, my my ability to even get to a competition, just to even watch, not even to participate, uh, is is kind of minimal uh, right now, and it probably will be for a little bit. But you know, even when I get my plane back, it's it's hard it's hard to commit the time to to sit down and actually practice, uh, get coaching, get critiquing, and and make the move uh, to compete uh, the way I want to. But I'd love to watch it. I, I would pay decent money to watch it. And I think a lot of people would too. So hopefully stuff like that kind of comes down the pike and then, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe other categories, you know, a lot of people talk about um, like a legacy category, you know, getting some of the, the, you know, the old guard to come back in and compete. Uh, that'd be really cool. Um, new versus old would be really cool. I don't know. Um, it would be a lot of fun to see that kind of stuff. So anyway. I really enjoyed having Rob on. Thanks again, Rob, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, Flycoolshit at gmail.com. If uh, you guys have any suggestions for me, any questions, comments, concerns, people you want to see on the show, people you don't want to see or don't want to hear on the show, uh, let me know. Let me know. And uh, I'll try to accommodate. But, uh, you know, we'll just keep on trucking, getting cool people on, talking about flying cool shit. That's what this is all about, literally. That's why the name is the name. Anyway, www.flycoolshit.com is the website. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're probably already subscribed on uh, iTunes, but we're on Spotify now, uh, and you can download right off the website as well. There is an Instagram page, but uh, not doing much with it. Fly cool shit. I think it's fly cool shit. Yeah, at fly cool shit on Instagram. Not doing a whole lot of that uh, with that, uh, just because you know a podcast doesn't really need uh, an Instagram page. But there it is. Um, definitely more active on my uh, MP Aviation Instagram, which is MP Aviation D O T C O M, MP Aviation.com spelled out. MP Aviation.com is my website. So if you ever want UPRT training, spin training, uh, recreational aerobatic training, BFRs, uh, 
just general flying lessons in the extra 300. If you want to just go see what it's like to fly an extra, uh, check out the website. Let me know. I'll accommodate you. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Episode four. We will talk to you next week. See ya.